Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today, Jay Harvey. Jay, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Okay, Jay, have you ever been to Canada? Well, I have, but it's kind of like, you know, you don't count if you just go across from Detroit into Windsor to eat a meal and then come back. Oh. But but I, I would oh, like on. to see more to eat of a meal. I get that. A lot of people move from Detroit across into Ontario. Windsor's on the other side. I grew up in uh, Washington State, of course, in Seattle. And so for me to go to Vancouver or Victoria was nothing. It was like going uh, just across town almost. Uh, but many people have not explored Canada who live in the States. But man, I'm telling you, it is a fantastic, great place, a great country, one of the world's best. And today our guest is a part of the government of Canada. He represents the Prairie Province of Saskatchewan in the House of Commons. His name is Jeremy Pratzer. How are you, Jeremy? Doing well, doing well. How are you guys today? Hey, we are so good. Thanks for coming back one more time. We are always glad to have you as our guest. All right, so Jeremy, you grew up in Saskatchewan. We've been talking, Jay and I, just a joking way about going to Canada. I've been to Canada many times. I have family, actually, that live in Toronto, and so uh, no stranger there. But I have to ask you, as the guy who grew up on the other side of that long, mm -hmm. thousands of miles border with the States, how about you? Do you come to the States? Have you been to the States? Yeah, I've been to quite a few different states, actually. I've been, uh, and I actually spent a year going to uh, to Bible school in Montana. Uh, so I lived in the right in the heart of the Bob Marshall Wilderness in the mountains, and uh, went to school there for a full year. Wow. So Jim, let me just interject here. He he does understand something. He's coming from a beautiful province in Canada to Montana. He understands that not everywhere looks like that in the states, right, or in the world. Just yeah. the two areas that he's familiar. Okay, I just want to make sure there well, are some. Of, there are some kind of other places that are a little rough looking. Well, so. that, you know, the big sky works in Montana yes, and Saskatchewan. True. It but, does, but not necessarily uh, in other parts. Yes, that, that's true. Okay, that's true. so name. Jeremy, just, just at random, one place in the States that you love visiting, uh, in addition to where you went to school, but something that you would say, oh, I'd take my family back there. Oh, Palm Springs. Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going with you. <laughs> the guy from Saskatchewan, which famous for its, well, shall we say, severe climates, yes. uh, likes Palm Springs where those uh, palm trees grow. It does have its charm, no doubt about it. I have to tell you that I've been all over Canada. Well, I have not been to the Maritimes, but those would be the provinces on the Atlantic coast. But honestly, to go to Lake Louise and Banff is some of the most spectacular scenery in the whole world. And so to all of our listeners, whatever's on your bucket list, make sure you get to Canada and explore the land. It is a great place and great people like Jeremy. So Jeremy, you have been in the House of Commons for how long? How long have you been serving there? Yeah, I was just elected at the end of October, and uh, so yeah, it's only been, uh, yeah, what, what do we got, about eight months, seven, eight so months So you're now? in your first year on the floor, as they say? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Jeremy, I just have to acknowledge once more for our audience who cannot see you, as we do see you, you are in Swift Current, Saskatchewan right now, but we see you on the big screen uh, in this live interview. You're only 33 years old. I say only because I'm an old man. I'm, I'm your father. I'm your grandfather. <laughs> so is that really true? You're 33 serving in the House of Commons. Yep, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great experience, especially as a, as, a, as a younger man, I guess, and with a young family. It's been a great experience to, again, get the family out. They've had a chance to experience Ottawa, to, to see me sit in the House of Commons live before everything kind of shut down here with the global pandemic. But uh, yeah, it's been quite the adventure over the last number of months, for sure.
Jeremy, you're in the House of Commons. There are 338 members who sit in the House. The House of Commons is the, the venue where Canadian law is really made. It's the driver of federal legislation in Canada. And of course, it also helps define the, the government of Canada uh, as members of the different political parties converge there. And it speaks to the world, actually, because Canadian policy is born in that that venue of, of interaction. I know that the House of Commons in all of the English-speaking world in the Commonwealth countries, as the Commons in London and in some other places, can be a really like... Um, what should I say, dynamic room of conversation. Am I getting this right? I mean, I, I used to watch the uh, prime minister's questions from London uh, when it was on C-SPAN. Uh, I, I kind of loved that whole give and take. In Ottawa, do you find that to be true? I mean, this is a place where people kind of duke it out. I, it's a contest of ideas that are kind of no holds barred. There's a kind of formal address and so on, but man, people go at it. Is that your journey? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, and just just the whole spectrum of it. You got the 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 theater that is question period, right? Where you get you get all 338 MPs into the house. It, it's almost more like a sports venue because it does get loud. It gets rocking in there. There's a lot of uh, bantering back and forth, even when there's only supposed to be one person talking to somebody across the way. Uh, but you get a lot. There's heckling. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on. Um, but once once question period has has calmed down, and and the most of the of the parliamentarians leave the building we go into routine proceedings and that's where you really hear a lot of the the different ideological stances and principles you really get a chance to really get into the meat of, of a piece of legislation and uh every, every bit of it is is great i love every minute of it have you ever been on on the floor or in the mix in the prime minister's questions I've never asked the prime minister a question directly. I haven't had that opportunity. Usually at the beginning of, uh, of question period, it's the leader of our party. He'll ask a series of questions back and forth and it moves to some of the one of the or two of the other opposition parties and they'll ask questions of the prime minister. And then from there, it kind of goes off to the to the different cabinet ministers. They, they take turns answering There's questions. There's a certain protocol well. about getting to the microphone. I get that. Hmm. And for yeah. our audience, Jeremy represents uh, his writing. That's a equivalent to a congressional district uh, in Saskatchewan. As a member of the Conservative Party, the present government in power is the Liberal Party. That's where Justin Trudeau, he's at the point of that. Uh, so you're the official opposition. There's some other parties that don't have as many seats, but they're still in the game. And uh, there you have it. What a world. Great issues of consequence are debated in the House of Commons, and I know that you, Jeremy, have a, a special interest in ideas of religious freedom on a global scale. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a few different stories that just kind of really stand out to me, and one was is actually experienced by uh, by, by my uncle, who's actually the member of parliament before before I was elected. And uh, the story is there, there was a, a fellow from the Middle East that was over in Canada speaking about religious freedom and talking to different parliamentarians. And, and part of his story was that he just laid it all on the line. He just said, when I go home, there's a very strong and realistic chance that I will be, be killed because of speaking out against religious persecution in my country. And a lot of the parliamentarians, it didn't sit right with them. They were they were offering him asylum, and and the one thing that this this individual said was this: I I cannot accept asylum in another country from this because people back home they they need a voice, and if I am not willing to be that voice, then who will be that voice for them? If if I show that I will 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 hide away, 
then this is never going to be resolved. And so he went home and with, I think it was within the, within a month of returning home, uh, he was assassinated uh, again for his stance against the government and on religious persecution. And that really got the ball rolling in, in Canada. Um, I think it was in, two, in two, 2014, 13 or 14, they established the, the Office for Religious Freedoms around the world. My uncle and a few other MPs were a big part of that. And uh, so that's a legacy that my uncle has been able to leave. One other story, actually, this is just prior to going on the call with you guys here today, I had the opportunity to uh, sign a letter over in Vietnam. An individual was, back in 2017, has been, was arrested for speaking about about God, for about, you know, again, just talking about faith issues. And uh, he was arrested. We're, we're signing another letter to the uh, to the government of Vietnam to, to release this individual and to uphold religious freedom in the world. Jeremy, you've mentioned this, the the Office of Religious Freedom, and I have kind of a two-part question. I need to know kind of what that is. And then secondly, what is the pulse in Canada as far as religious freedom and, and faith? Is it something that's talked about openly, or is it just kind of kept to yourself? So first, the Office of Religious Freedom, and then what, what's your take on uh, the pulse of Canada? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked, asked the, both those questions. And yeah, going to the Office of Religious Freedom. So that was started under the Conservative government back in 2015, uh, when the Liberal government was first elected. One of the things they actually did is they took the Office of Religious Freedoms and they just rolled it into their foreign affairs office more or less so effectively they they close the office they tell you that it's still open but because it just got wrapped into foreign affairs it doesn't hold the same level of prominence that it that it, it once held right so i think you know our our party is committed to specifically reopening that office because it's been identified as something that is important and integral to upholding freedom around the country and something that we need to advocate for as parliamentarians not just in canada but around the world you know, specifically in my writing as well, I have a, a lot of support uh, to to have that as part of my, my venture in, in my political life, to have that that going and around the country as well. I think there's a general consensus that, yeah, this is something that is important. And, you know, when you have a, an office dedicated to something like that, you know, and going to the issue, say, in, in China of the Uyghurs who are being heavily persecuted or Christians in the Middle East, it doesn't really matter which area of the country. There's persecution going on of all different faiths. And having a, a, a department specifically or an office specifically looking into that and how we can speak out and uphold freedom around the world, I think is of extreme importance. And, and for the majority of Canadians, they see that as something that is is a worthwhile venture to have. Can you illustrate what the government of Canada or the people of Canada could actually do to address that issue abroad? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like we talked about, getting that office opened up would, would, would help because it, it definitely establishes a, a principled stance as government to be able to speak effectively about that. But I, I think just making sure that we don't shy away from opportunities when they present themselves uh, to bring up these issues or to to bring them forward. When, when you have leaders of the world gathering together in these different areas to specifically point out these these atrocities that are happening around the world and to make stances like that. When we're talking about our, our trade relationships and different things like that, I, you know, again, I don't think it hurts to be talking about uh, using those opportunities to talk about matters of freedom like that. So I'm hearing you say that there is leverage 
where this becomes a part of the equation when Canada makes a trade deal or when the prime minister's at the group of eight or the group of 20. You'd like to see it on the table in the conversation, not the also-ran, but a part of the mix of considerations that Canada makes in its relationships. Yeah, I think it's important because, again, we need to speak up for freedoms around the world. And we need to show people, you know, again, that here in North America, the U.S., Canada, both, that you know, our democracies exist and we uphold freedoms uh, for everybody, not just a select few, but for everyone. And and to be willing to shine that light to the rest of the world, I think, is important. And uh, it translates into, into other things as well. When we're talking about, you know, people being held or detained against their will in other countries here in Canada, we have the two Michaels who are who are being held it's not for religious reasons but it also those two do tie into each other and if you're if you're willing to speak on the one you're able to have a strong voice on the other as well the two michaels what do you mean by that so there's two guys michael spavor and michael kovrig they the chinese government has detained those two individuals in, in Canada, we we actually this is get digging into the weeds here a little bit, but with with Huawei and and their ventures with 5G, we their CFO for for Huawei was in Canada, was arrested. Uh, there's an extradition agreement with the United States because they were looking for this lady, and uh, we arrested her in Canada. And China, the next day, detained those two individuals on spying or espionage uh, charges. Hmm. Uh, as a kind of retaliatory move, that's how it appears, uh, while she's sitting in Vancouver uh, waiting uh, court process. Yeah. Yep. Jeremy, you have a passion for this religious liberty issue, and I know that's born uh, in no small way by your own personal faith. You're a person of faith, and you have grown up in a world in Canada where you were free to exercise that faith. That's motivating you. Tell us about why that matters when you're in the public square. Does it really matter if people have a personal faith? Is that something that the public should consider when they select someone to represent them? How do you package all that together and in your own personal commitment to your faith? Yeah, well, I mean, again, just looking at, at government as a whole, they're Every, every government of every stripes, they, they have scandal. They have different issues that come and go and different things like that. And when, when you're a person of faith, you have that extra layer of accountability naturally built into yourself that, you know what, the actions that I have here today, someday I'm going to have to stand before my maker and give account to the things that I had and the, and the actions that I took in, in life. And when you're in public office, you're already held to a higher standard, but when you add that other layer of it as well too, it adds that extra accountability. And I think it provides, it should provide that certainty to, to an individual that, hey, this person, they they care, they know that this, these things are gonna be of utmost importance to them. Integrity is going to be uh, the, the first principle that they are gonna hold on to and stand to. And uh, for me personally as well, that is a guiding principle in my life. I think that, if the person who represented me had integrity, even if I disagreed with them, it'd be easier to uh, follow them, even if they did not make the same call I would make on every issue, but I knew that they were doing it with that in mind, that they are being held accountable uh, to a day of judgment that you have just described, which reminds me of a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, which you mentioned to me once, Jeremy, in an earlier conversation that, that you found very um, motivating, even as a child, about letting your light shine. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And uh, it, it's definitely a guiding light for me as, as I've ventured into, into politics, into public life. 
and uh, to just, yeah, make sure that I'm, I'm hanging dear to those principles and that when people, when, I, when at the end of my career, that people will be able to look and say, yes, he, he was a man of integrity. He was true to his word and uh, he did a, he did a great job. He fought the good fight. Uh, so Jeremy, I'm just curious, um, living in the States, we don't really have term limits per se. Um, what, what's it like in Canada? Are there term limits? What are some of the differences between uh, the way we both do government? As a member of parliament in, in the House of Commons, yeah, I, I'm elected. Uh, there is no term limit for, for me. There is no term limit for the Prime Minister of Canada either. Uh, one of the main differences, though, is our, our Senate is actually appointed by the Prime Minister. You guys have elections for, for every level. Um, but in Canada, if you're a senator, you, you were appointed. Hmm. And the one thing for them, when they hit 75, they have to retire. So you, wow. depending on when you were appointed, there is, a, a, in a sense, a term limit in that regard. It's not a fixed term limit, per se, but you can only serve up until a certain point as an appointed senator. Wow. So, Jeremy, at 33, if you can get that next prime minister to get you in the Senate at age 35, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you've got a lifetime. Right, it's right, all right, set. Right. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> never know. Never know. Jeremy was elected to the House of Commons with an astonishing 81% majority. And, uh, Jeremy, that is a phenomenon, I have to believe anywhere on the planet in a contested election. You weren't just the only name on the ballot. There were other people running. And yet you inspired the confidence of 81% of your voting public. And what strikes me is that you're a man of integrity and faith. You're unashamed about your value system. You have a sense of self-awareness and identity that you just carry without presumption, but with confidence. And that was a winning strategy in the place you call home to send you to government. And uh, we just want to applaud and thank you for standing up and for the work you do. For our listening audience today, you might be thinking, wow, what could I do with my life? Well, you'd be surprised what you could do. And you may never be elected to a public office, but you may find yourself in a position of influence. And it might be in your local school or maybe in the place where you work or even in your neighborhood block or your apartment building. You'd be surprised how much of a vacuum of leadership there is in our world. And if people who are certain of themselves and are people of faith and who are liegeed to following Jesus, wow, if you have that kind of self-definition, God can open up doors for you too. I'm not appealing for you now to think about how you might run for office, but I am suggesting that all of us will find fulfillment when we find our calling, and that calling cannot be understood until you know about your relationship with God. And today we want to invite you to find your way into that relationship, to be able to develop some confidence and certainty and some frames of reference that can help you navigate an uncertain and unpredictable world. You can take a step that way right now with us by joining us in a prayer. You might be thinking, well, prayer, I don't know how to do that. Or maybe I'm not even sure there is a God listening. Hey, just accept the dare right now. Take a chance. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Take a deep breath with us right now and join us in this prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and ask that you will make yourself known to us. We look at the world and know that it has many broken places and yet there are also some extraordinary, beautiful things in this world that could not have been developed by random chance. And we want to be a part of that universe you created perfectly. And so Lord, we just put ourselves before you 
We admit that we're not adequate by ourselves. We admit that we sometimes make the wrong call, that we have done wrong things and have wrong thoughts. Forgive us of those sins, Lord. And we thank you for sending your son into this world, Jesus, who made a way for us and who paid the price for our failure so that we could be covered by his sacrifice. And in that, Lord, as we surrender to that forgiveness and your calling, we could be made new, make us new. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for everyone who's joined us in it. And I pray before seven days pass for everyone who's prayed this prayer, we might find an intersection in our lives where we realize you heard this prayer and you are setting us up to go forward with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about how to pray, about God, your maker, about Jesus, his son, about how you can have a world that is different than the one you know now, about how you can have some confidence and also have a clear conscience at night. Anything you want to talk about, we want to talk to you and with you and hear from you. Just call this number, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll free, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. But Jay, I know some people don't want to call on the phone, but they could find us online. Where would they go? Uh, easily done, www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's at CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Read about the ministry, send us an email, we will reply. Maybe you're accessing this conversation already on social media. Just make a comment in the feed. We're following that too. We'll get right back with you. Or perhaps just, if you prefer, write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, follow us on social media, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jeremy, again, always a privilege to be in your company. Keep up the good work. And hey, I'm pulling for you. I'm telling my family in Canada, get ready to vote for this guy, even if they don't live in Saskatchewan, because they need to vote for your tribe so that you can get to the top. That's right. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. I really appreciated the time and uh, anytime. I'd be happy to join again anytime. Well, be careful. Someday I'm coming to Swift Current again. There you go. I'll track you down. Perfect. (laughs) Sounds good. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Jay, thanks for joining us. Always good to have you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll be with us again next week. But until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministries team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.